Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. We are back, alhamdulillah, for the prophetic to close out, inshallah, for the next four classes, uh, which are the the compendium of the prophetic narrative by our beloved Sheikha Samira Zayed. And so with that, let's recite the Fatiha for her as a gift to be in the most continue to elevate her and to expand her grave, grant her genital for Allah with the Prophet for bringing us um, near to him by giving us this detailed understanding of his life. So with that being said, alhamdulillah, we'll start with our intention, which is the translated intention of Imam al-Hadan. Bismillah, so repeat after me. I intend to learn and to teach to benefit and to be benefited, to remind and to be reminded, to call to the book of Allah and the sunnah of his messenger, to guide and to be guided by sound proof and correct knowledge, to seek the countenance of my Lord, nearness to him and his reward. Amin, amin. We're also here by the intention to expose ourselves to the mercy of Allah, by the intention to ask Allah to grant us an elevation, that he would grant us a proximity to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that would rectify all of our affairs, rectify our complete spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical state. We ask that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala bless us at the seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam illuminating our minds and our hearts, that it may grant us an expansion in our breasts and our chests that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would bless us to be dignified by it, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would allow us to be in close proximity to the Prophet in dunya wa akhirah, that he would visit us in our dreams and that we would have a chance to visit him in Medina, and that of course that we would be resurrected with him and enter into Jannah with him, Allahumma, Amin. So with that being said, uh, I'd like to discuss today's topic, inshallah, in the battle of Ohmud. So the last time that we were together, we discussed the battle of Badr. And subhanAllah, it's interesting because at, even we were ending uh, right before Ramadan, our last class right before Ramadan. And it's in, in Badr, subhanAllah, happened during the month of Ramadan. And so that's the time we actually commemorate on the 17th of Ramadan. Uh, the, the battle of Badr, subhanAllah, and like to call out the names of the martyrs. And so the battle of Uhud was literally like a response from the Quraysh about the level of defeat that they experienced during uh, during the battle of Badr. Like there was just a, an overwhelming rage and an overwhelming sense of need for revenge, to avenge their fathers, their brothers, their uh, sons who had actually been martyred during the battle of Badr, subhanAllah. Uh, and it was something that just like the Quraysh religion boiling because it was such an upset to them because it, it's not something they ever expected would have happened, right? They went into the battle thinking, oh, this will be easy. This will be a piece of cake. We'll wipe them out. We'll go home. They did not see the Muslims at that point as any as any threat to them at all. And yet, subhanAllah, they lead that battle severely defeated and, and deeply humiliated. 
Uh, and they lose some of the big leaders of Quraysh, right? The, 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 the very important leaders of Quraysh, like Umayyah, Neymar, like, I'm sorry, Umayyah, like uh, Abu Jahl, they lose them, subhanAllah, in that particular battle. And so that's that's a big loss to, you know, for Abu Jahl to have passed away. And so now, uh, Abu Sufyan bin Harb is actually the leader of the Quraysh. And there are a group of men, uh, including Ikramah, who is the son of Abu Jahl, that comes uh, to Abu Sufyan and says, listen, we have got to avenge, right? Including the son of who was killed, Bilal ibn Rabah, who was the former slave owner of Bilal ibn Rabah, that when his son, you know, hears about the loss of his father, they, they just go to him and like plead, we've got to avenge our fathers. And so Abu Sufyan was able to actually, um, to keep some of the spoils, basically some of what was left from some of those caravans. Abu Sufyan had actually saved some of those caravans. And so they went to those who were the owners of the caravans and asked, can we use this wealth basically to wage a war, right? In their terms, to wage a war against Muhammad and subhanAllah, uh, they actually agreed like that's, this was a very big deal. And so they, uh, you know, basically sold everything that was in those caravans and it came back to be about 15,000 dirhams, right? So you can imagine like $15,000 uh, for this particular war that they had raised. And subhanAllah, they gave the prophet to the care, you know, to the owners of the caravan, but then they were able to take, or should they, uh, they gave what was due to the, to the owners of the caravan and took the prophet in order to be able to, uh, to wage this war. And so now it was subhanAllah, just, it was on. They were ready. They were armed and ready and, and fueled with so much rage, subhanAllah, and that even uh, one of the, they had gone to the poets and asked, you know, these poets, it was like a, literally like a smear campaign um, that they waged against the Prophet, before the battle began, when they went to these poets, they literally wanted to uh, do two things. Of course, they wanted to smear our beloved messenger of Allah and to deny what his message was about, to say that he was actually trying to separate family members and trying to separate tribes, and trying to um, deviate from the religion of their forefathers, when in reality, he was trying to call them back to the true religion of their forefathers, subhanAllah. So this was the, the smear campaign against the Prophet, but in in addition to that, the poets were actually kind of like giving odes to those who had passed away in the battle of Badr to kind of, you know, arouse in them this sense of like, we need to avenge their death. And so, subhanAllah, they used all kinds of tactics in order to get these poets to go to these different tribes and to actually speak about it. So if you can imagine, like in our day and time today, it would be like, you know, on every new on every news channel, on every channel that's playing, and every you know everywhere you go, you're seeing 
these particular messages being spread, right, about the Prophet so against the, the beloved Messenger of Allah, and then for um, the those who were martyred, right, who were killed, not the shuhada, clearly uh, the disbelievers who were martyred in this battle of Badr. And so this just, again, just became fuel for the fire. Now, it's interesting uh, that, of course, there's a there's like a, some targets that now that since they have lost some of their key leaders, they're looking for what key leaders who are with the beloved messenger of Allah, he said that they could uh, that they could pinpoint and say, we're going, you know, they took Abu Jahl, they took me, so now we're going to take Hamza. I, they were just so before, of course, that Hamza was beloved to them. But now since he had sided with the Prophet Muhammad and had fought in that previous battle, that uh, and particularly that he killed Tu'ayma, which was um, a, a, a leader in that community. So the daughter of the one that Hamza had killed came to Wahshi. And Wahshi was known uh, for basically his... Uh, with, like his spearmanship, I guess you would say. He was known that he could hit a target from far and not miss. So he would be the equivalent of like a sniper today. And subhanAllah, uh, they told, he was at that particular time a slave. And what they promised him was his freedom, that if he could actually uh, kill Hamza, either Hamza, uh, or the beloved messenger of Allah, or Abu Bakr, or Omar, then any one of them, right now, he, what they're doing is targeting the leaders, that any one of them, if he was able to, to target them, to kill them, then he would have his freedom. And subhanAllah, it was, of course, this united, this, you know, uh, pushed in him, not so much that he wanted to, uh, that he had any personal feelings against Hamza or the Prophet them, but there was just this deep sense of wanting his own freedom. And so in that, uh, he signed up for this particular war. And so I want to just have, take a moment to be able to pull up some of the things that were important um, that led up to the particular battle itself, right? As we get ready, you know, uh, as, as, as literally we get ready. So as we, uh, when we look at how the battle begins, how it all begins, that, you know, there was this request to Abu Sufyan and then, you know, to wage war against the Muslims. And he agrees, right? And then we have, you know, they literally send out the different poets, as we mentioned. But Abu Sufyan makes a promise. He literally promises to not bathe, right? Until he uh, is able to avenge the deaths and Badr. He literally refuses to bathe, right? That's that's like, I, I, I can't even imagine, you know, of course, what he smelled like. Um, but also just that feeling of like, I'm not going to feel a sense of cleanliness until after this. And it, there's something so amazing because uh, there's so many things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing us right, about who he is, even in this particular battle. In the battle of Badr, we begin to witness, subhanAllah, the power of Allah, right? 
it is the, the greatness and the grandeur of Allah in the battle of Uhud, what we begin to recognize is the immense mercy and compassion. And I'm, I'm going to get to that in the end, because as we list, of course, like the likes of Ikrama, who is the son of Abu Jahan, of course, Abu Sufyan, watching as we uh, even uh, Khalid ibn Walid, who is the leader at this time of the army, as we begin to list these people at the end, what we find out, right? They're ending all, all of those who were some of the top, uh, you know, enemies of Islam and the Prophet ended up having a different ending, subhanAllah. So in this week, we see Allah's mercy in turning the hearts, but we won't get there. Let me not ask, get past subhanAllah, you know, skip past some of the, the importance of, of these events. So as we go through um, some, again, of these particular things, the Prophet has made this decision that he doesn't want to fight inside of Medina, that he wants to fight outside of Medina, right? Upon the, like uh, many of his followers kind of make this suggestion, like we should, you know, that we should march out, that we should fight, uh, fight outside of Medina. And there are a couple of things that, um, happened differently in this war that it, that actually never happened in the history of any other battle in the Arabian Peninsula. For example, this is the first time that women are actually invited to the battlefield. And it happens, and interestingly enough, it happens on both sides, right? Like, for example, there are about 15 women from the side of the Quraysh who actually join their army. And part of the reason they bring uh, the women right to the to the battle is about they want to actually they recognize the power of, of women's voices in terms of uh, them arousing men to continuously to fight right for the women to actually uh, kind of give odes to the men that have passed away and for this to kind of encourage men to continue to fight. Now on the side of the Muslims, of course, women play a much different role, right? That they are not uh, using their voice for the purpose necessarily of inciting men to war or enticing them to war, but actually women are on the battlefield in order to assist the wounded soldiers that they are playing in order to, uh, they're playing a role of, of support to those soldiers in terms of making sure that they have proper food and proper water, uh, that they have proper medical support. And then, subhanAllah, uh, it, it becomes a little bit more involved. And so we'll get to that in a, in a little bit, inshallah. So when we get to, uh, you know, just to kind of give that general overview right, is that what's the reason for the battle of Badr? Like, I mean, the battle of Uhud, excuse me. The reason for the battle of Uhud, number one, is to, to avenge what happens at Badr, right? The next thing is, is they want to regain some of their lost prestige. The Quraysh have lost a certain uh, image in the eyes of the women. They have lost it in the eyes of the general Arabian Peninsula when the news gets out that they have been defeated by the Muslims and that Medina at, at 
at the helm, at the leadership of the Prophet وسلم, is, is stronger, is literally the Muslims are now a force to be reckoned with. And so the Quraysh want to quell that. They want to just say that is not the case, that we are still in power, that we are still in control. And so the other thing is, is now Medina is also as a result of it, that, that when a mother and the overtaking of the majority of the caravans, that the few that Abu Sufyan was not able to, uh, you know, not able uh, to say is that this wealth came back to the Muslims. So now the Muslims are also enjoying, uh, Medina is also taking a, a stronger place, more prestigious place commercially. Right, they're getting financially stronger, and so this uh, was a very like this was a very very big deal, right? Very big deal, and so uh, it became important that they were like, you know what, we have got to uh, regain some of this back. So I want to take this, inshallah. So when we look at uh, in the, the the battle, like who's coming, right? So on the side of the Quraysh. There are 3,000 uh, men who come out, right? There are 3,000 men and women total. Uh, and 700 out of the 3,000 have coats of mail. So they're, they've got the, the chain mail on. And there's about 15 to 16 women who participate in this battle. And who's there? Hind, Bint Usa, and the, who is the wife of Abu Sufyan, right? And as we know, she's the one who is really encouraging Wahshi as well. Like, if you kill Hamza, right, the reward that we will give you, right? The granddaughter of Abu Jahan and Fatima, the sister of Khalid Walid. So these are some of the women who are prominent, who are on the side of the Quraysh. When it comes to who was, you know, what was happening on the side of the Muslims. We have, subhanAllah, uh, we, we have some of the greats who were actually, subhanAllah, amongst the women who were present. Um, there were Aisha radiallahu ta'ala and Umm Salima radiallahu ta'ala and Umm Umar al-Afisa. And we'll get to her strong role in this total. So now they're only total all together, right? Men and women, they're between 700 to 1,000. They're still, you know, one to three. They're still one third of the population of the Quraysh. Right, and so remember, there were seven hundred on the side of the Quraysh who had coats of mail, who were heavily armed, armored. But there are only a hundred on the side of the Muslims. Subhanallah. Um, and so this was something that you know we begin to see the same, the same disparity is happening in terms of the amount of people as well as the the resources. The Muslims are still the underdog in this situation, yet. Subhanallah, they still have, you know, in terms of their courage and their iman, and they're, they're, you know, ready to meet them on the battlefield. That doesn't change, subhanallah. And so uh, going back, I want to be able to pull this up, inshallah, for us to be able to see one of the most powerful images for me is just the, is the mountain woman. Now today in Mecca, when we visit, uh, I'm sorry, when we go to visit, uh, make these trips sorry, to Mecca and Medina, when we go to the mountain of Uhud, Uhud is only about, you know, less than a third 
of what it was during the time of Rasulullah sallallahu It is not actually at all uh, what it was, you know, at that particular, like, you know, we would say during its heyday, um, that it's much smaller. But at least we're able to kind of get a sense of exactly where uh, the Muslims were standing, right? Like where, and it's a, the Uhud, even though we think of it just as one, we usually look at Uhud as just the, the mountain, like we see, on our screen, but in reality, Uhud is a is a, a range of mountains that are surrounding that particular area. Right, that Uhud is a range of mountains, and so Subhanallah, there is a bypass, right? And it's important to know that because it's going to play a, uh, a very important role in terms of what happens uh, in terms of the battle itself. And so when we look at when we look at subhanAllah, where the Prophet وسلم, we will be able to see uh, where the first phase of the battle took place. And we saw that here, that it um, began here. And then the second phase of the battle happens, uh, basically, they have to come on the other side of the, the pass, right? And so what's very famous, as we know about um the battle of Uhud is that subhanAllah, the Prophet وسلم, as, as it begins, right? The Prophet وسلم, is, is very heavy-hearted. And he's, you know, feeling he's he's consul he's consulting with his companions and he's taking their advice and their leadership, but sometimes against his own feelings, his own uh, sense of, you know, what he wanted to do, but for the sake of, of Shura, for the sake of them also, of course, they have skin in the game, that they're a part of it. Uh, he, you know, he needs to some of their advice as well. And this happens multiple times, it, it, you know, including during the time, during the Battle of the it happens in the Battle of the Trench, uh, where the Prophet takes advice from his companions, but this time he's slightly troubled by uh, that advice, subhanAllah. So as the, literally the battle begins on Saturday, but the Quraysh come and camp out Thursday and Friday. So before the, the battle actually begins, they arrive on Thursday. Now, meanwhile, this is about three days in between Thursday, Friday, Saturday before the battle begins, uh, Abbas, the, who was the uncle of the Prophet and the son of Abdul Muttalib, uh, is asked by the Quraysh to join, right, to join the Quraysh army. And he refuses, right? He refuses and he, he sends a message. As the Quraysh leave out, he actually sends a message to the Prophet making it known what's happening, what is the plot of the Quraysh. Walillah and giving the Prophet and the Muslims the opportunity to prepare, right? To get ready, knowing this is what they're plotting, this is what they're planning. And subhanAllah, when they arrive and they, you know, they, they're camping out to limit, of course, to almost a, a, what we consider a day's distance, the Prophet sends out spies to see, like basically to, to uh, to see, you know, what's there, how many people are with them, what's their weaponry look like, what's the kind of listening on their plans, and how do that they're they're reporting back to the Prophet. And this is important because 
we begin to see that the Prophet also has a stratagem to war, right? That he, one of the things that he's, uh, you know, of course, he's Rahmatan Ananin, and he's known as one of the, the greatest leader of all times. But that also included, uh, you know, what, what has been studied also is his military strategy. That our beloved messenger of Allah there wasn't an area of life that he wasn't, subhanAllah, a leader and a guide in that. And so the same in the case of the battle of Uri. And so as the battle begins, the Prophet has ordered, uh, particularly, right, as the as the battle begins first in a smaller area. The Prophet has ordered uh, that there are archers on the mount, right? Archers on the top. And so in order to enter into where Mount Uhud is, you the, the positioning of the Quraysh is that they would enter into look into valley level. So they would be already as they they're coming in at a disadvantage to the Muslims. Uh, and so the Prophet ordered that the archers who are on the mound should not leave. And they're roughly between about 50 to 60 of them that the Prophet gives instruction to. And some of them are indifferent, according to some of them for the Ansar, some of them from Bahajain. There are groups of people who actually have already known each other, been familiar with each other, know each other's fighting styles. And so that's also part of the Prophet's strategy. And he also used in the battle of Badr that was very effective. And so the archers are on the mound and he gives them the very clear instruction, do not leave your post, no matter what. Do not leave your post unless or until I give you the command. Do not leave your post unless or until I give you the command. And subhanAllah, they, you know, agree to that. And of course, because this puts them in a particular position. Well, as the battle ensues, as the battle begins, the Muslims are literally, subhanAllah, the Muslims are just like, you know, like this, just, just uh, taking them down, taking them down and taking names, taking them down and taking names, subhanAllah, that they are um, enormously successful in the beginning of the battle. So much so that again now, uh, they are, uh, they, you know, they begin to retreat, right? They begin to retreat and they are, they're feeling there's a deep sense you know, there's a there's a deep sense of, of dread inside of the Quraysh. Like we have engaged them and subhanAllah, they're coming to defeat us again, right? And so this level of, of dread that's happening inside of them is just like, wow, how have they gained so much power, so much strength? So in the beginning of the battle, right, there's this general fighting, the Quraysh attack first, the Muslims are fighting uh, bravely, you know, they have the upper hand, right? They have the upper hand. Uh, you know, they, they've wounded and killed many on the Quraysh side to the point that the Quraysh begin to retreat. Now, as they are retreating, right, as they are retreating, uh, literally, this is that fateful moment that when the Quraysh literally start to run away, 
the archers on the mound who are who have been instructed by the Prophet to not move their post until the Prophet gives, unless or until the Prophet gives the command. They begin to believe the fight is over. It's over, right? They're, they're retreating. And so they pass, they begin to spread the message amongst them that they are retreating. And so they run, right, away uh, from the battlefield and they leave exposed all of the spoils of war that they've left with them. And so the archers of the mount seeing that said, hey, it's over, we won. They begin to cheer and they begin to descend from their position. And subhanAllah, there are some who, there are about 15 to 17 who are still standing, calling the others back, saying, no, come back. The Prophet told us not to leave. And the ones who, about the 35 of them who have descended are saying to them, listen, he, yes, he told us that, right? But he was telling us that during the while it was war, while the war was on. But now the war is finished. So literally, they took this, uh, the words of our beloved Messenger of Allah and began to put their own interpretation on it. Right. And the ones who were calling them back were saying, no, he told us not to leave unless or until his command, period. Right? That was their position. But the ones who were descending were saying, yes, he said it. And he meant that while the war was going on. And so in that moment, they're just adding that, that small little uh, nuance, right? Even to what the Prophet was saying, literally as they descended and began to collect some of the spoils of war, and they're the archers trying to call them back. Now we can imagine there are archers on the mound here, right? And the Prophet وسلم, is actually standing guard, right, on, on this side of the mountain, on almost on the same, uh, nearly close to where the, the valley where he could see the battle very clearly happening down on the ground, as well as being able to see what's happening on top, as well as he has access to be able to see where the women are. Right, where the women and any wounded soldiers are being taken. Like that's the, the view he has from where he's standing. You can see what's happening on the on top, on the ground, in the front. He, can, he has access to be able to see where the women are. He's got a view of all of this. And when he sees the archers begin to descend, he, he recognizes this is going to create a vulnerability. And just as that happens, now that they are down, right, majority are down, the pass over here, right, uh, is now exposed. This side is now exposed. There's a, uh, a passway. And literally what happens is that Khalid and Walid, then as they're retreating, right, as, the, as they are retreating, Khalid and Walid comes on this side, right? and begin to now, now position the Quraysh to be on top of the mountain. So this is important. You've got the Prophet seeing this, witnessing what's about to happen. He is running up one side of the mountain and the Quraysh army is coming on the other side of the mountain. You only have a very few amount 
who are standing, who are still on, and majority of the Muslim soldiers are now on the ground. And the battle has turned, right? And the women, subhanAllah, there's one woman, Nusayba Um Amara, who is watching this event. She can see the Prophet running up the mountain. She can see the, the Quraysh actually running up the other side. She was in the tent with the women, knowing for her uh, medicinal care for, you know, and she runs, right? She runs up uh, all the mountains, subhanAllah, uh, in order to intercept, to place her body as a shield. She uses her body as a shield. Uh, to stand between the Qurayshi army, right, and the beloved messenger of Allah, and he said, because the Prophet وسلم, he's coming to call back the soldiers, but he doesn't see how quickly the Qurayshi army are coming up the other side, but Umar can see both sides, and so she runs and intercepts right at the moment before the Prophet وسلم, uh, is actually struck, she intercedes with her body, subhanAllah. And the Prophet وسلم, said, when I look to my right and I look to my left, all I could see was the sword of Umm Amara, subhanAllah. Said all I could see, like the way and the viciousness, mashallah, the bravery and the, the skill in which she was fighting. That if I look to my right to fight, I found her sword in front of me, defending my life. And if I look to my left to fight, I found her sword, subhanAllah, defending me. And at this moment, now the now they realize the soldiers who have left their posts are now realizing, oh my God, what happened? What has happened? So now they're trying to run back to their post. Those uh, 12 to 15, uh, 12 to 17 are actually covering their two circles, right? One uh, that is circling the Prophet Sallallahu sent them like this, and then another that is standing out, right? In order to fight, to defend off, right? There's, but it's just a few of them against at this point, Hands, uh, you know, let's just say more and more and more of them who are coming to defeat the Prophet Sallallahu Um Amara takes a hit. As a matter of fact, they said that she takes around 21 stab wounds before Nusayba Um Amara radiallahu ta'ala anha uh, falls to the ground. Right? And as she's falling and the Quraysh are like basically literally like are, are coming at them in waves, right? Because now the, the target um, that they were looking for was which is Sayyidina Muhammad السلام, is it has been exposed. And so they they strike the Prophet and send them first in his shoulder. Right, it happens that he struck in his shoulder. Another, uh, he struck in, on his uh, cheek, and the, his chain mail, the his, uh, the his chain metal helmet, is is one of the because of the blow, a piece of it is actually ingrained into the cheek of the beloved messenger of Allah, and his tooth is chipped. SubhanAllah, the, the next, the third one comes and strikes, uh, the hell strikes here, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and he falls to the ground. 
And subhanAllah, immediately as he falls, uh, the Quraysh began to spread the word that Sayyidina Muhammad is dead. And they began to spread it like a wildfire. We have struck him, he has fallen. Muhammad is dead. And they spread it. And of course, the Quraysh are cheering and become more uh, courageous. And the, the Muslims are feeling a deep sense of sadness and defeat. And so there's a, a small group of them that literally take the Prophet whose body is limp along with Muhammad and they drag them uh, to one of the other, basically uh, in a, in a, like a, a small cave in the mountainside, right, in order to nurse them. And so as this word is spread that the beloved Messenger of Allah is dead, the battle takes another turn. And because now, subhanAllah, uh, there, is, there is a sense of defeat already inside of the Muslims. There's a sense of, of deep hurt already existing inside of the Muslims. And so, subhanAllah, uh, this is when it, it, it just becomes, they literally lost hope, right? They're, they're, they literally have just lost hope. And so the fighting, subhanAllah, almost becomes like one-sided. Right? It just becomes like one-sided. Um, and as it becomes one-sided, subhanAllah, like the, you know, literally uh, the companions of the Prophet are doing their best to just like try to maintain their composure for what has occurred, right? For what is, is has occurred, subhanAllah. Um, and literally in this particularly uh, battle, they fought until the uncle of the Prophet Hamza, by what she that we mentioned in the beginning, takes a spear and you know identifies exactly Hamza and throws it and strikes him right in uh, his upper cavity, piercing through him, piercing through his heart as well as uh, in this area. And subhanAllah. Um, after Hamza, Radi Allah Ta'ala, and falls, they, come and want to take uh, trophies from his body, right? And in taking trophies from his body, uh, they're dismembering him. And so, subhanAllah, uh, after feeling a deep sense of victory, like we have, you know, we have, uh, we have, you know, taken the life of Sayyidina Muhammad taking the life of there's a sense like we have, you know, done what we came to do. And they are extremely exhausted. Both sides are extremely exhausted. And they, they finally, you know, basically just dissipate, right? They, both armies just decide, this is it, we're leaving. That's it. Now, they get back, you know, and need to get word. Uh, and of course, the word comes back that the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa has not passed away.
right? That he's, he's wounded, but he hasn't passed away. And as a matter of fact, the Prophet وسلم, as soon as he wakes up, he asks, the first person he asks about is where is Umbara? What is the state of Musaba? And so they tell him, oh, oh Rasulullah, she has not woken up yet. She's still unconscious. So he goes to her bedside and he sits by her bedside, makes dua until she wakes up. And when she wakes up, he asks her, oh, you say, well, oh, Amara, what do you want for defending my life in this dunya? And she says, Ya Rasulullah, I want to be in general with you. Like, that's, that's the whole point. I want to be in general with you. And he says, you have it. You have it. SubhanAllah. And so she is becomes one of the Ashana Mashana, one of those who are promised, guaranteed general. Then, subhanAllah, they take the Prophet وسلم, to the battlefield to give an assessment, right? What is the state? What is the state of the condition? You know, who's left behind? And when this happens, when the Prophet وسلم, goes to give the assessment and he is a witness to uh, the body of his beloved uncle Hamza. It said that the Prophet lets out a sound. He lets out a just a gut wrenching wail. Like he just he just is overwhelmed with sadness and overwhelmed um, that his beloved uncle is gone. Right? And not only gone. But to see Hamza dismembered in this way, uh, the Prophet is just overcome with grief. And subhanAllah, when we look at the turn of this, you know, the, when we look at and we take some of the lessons from the balance of the book, of course, one of the first is that our victory in every aspect of our life is completely contingent. Real victory is completely contingent on our absolute obedience to Allah and his messenger. Without even saying, let me reinterpret, let me re, you know, uh, let, me, let me say we didn't mean it at this time. That was for that time. This is for now it's a different time. So now this no longer applies. And the, the sadness is that every one of us as Muslims have, have had that moment in the battle of Uhud. Every single one of us at some point have had that moment to say, well, this was for the Prophet them. This was for that time, not for our time. Or this is what he meant by literally just taking a small and, and adding something that's more convenient for me because there's something I want. There's something I'm seeking. And so we literally just kind of change the meaning of the messenger, the words of the messenger of Allah, which in the end will only not only lead to our defeat, but to the defeat of the Muslims. And so subhanAllah, I can't imagine what it must have been like to, uh, you know, to when they literally, it was, wasn't only Hamza, the Muslims took a heavy toll, a heavy loss that day on the battle of Uhud. Over 70 were martyred. Over 70 Muslims 
were martyred. Majority were from the Mohajideen, right? And uh, some of them from the Ansar. And so this was a this was a heavy, heavy, heavy defeat, right? Because in, in, interestingly enough, majority of those who defended the life of the Prophet وسلم, that particular day, right? Majority of them were from the Ansar. And so this had a huge uh, pain in the heart. This left a huge broken heartedness with the Mahajari. Like, we've been with him. We've been with him since the days of Darul Arkham. How could we leave him in that moment? And how could we uh, leave Hamza? How could we leave the Muslims? And yet, and yet, it was a moment that the companions never spoke of again to each other. There was a pact given that we will not even mention. We will not even say anything about it. We just, we will admit our defeat, our shortcomings, but we will not speak of it. Now, subhanAllah, the level of, of courage and patience and sabr and steadfastness with each other that they would say, we're not even going to talk about it because it's too painful. Because it's something we just have to look at our own weaknesses and our own shortcomings and just say, subhanAllah, So this, can you imagine one of the most difficult moments in your community? The community has lost 70 of its, of its best. And you're like, we can't discuss it. We won't mention it. We won't mention this day. We won't mention the passing of Musa. SubhanAllah. And so, uh, you know, of course, this is one of the darkest days in the life of our beloved Messenger of Allah, and yet, subhanAllah, this is uh, one of the greatest lessons for the Muslims, the battle of Umd. How firm we have to be to hold on to the instruction of the Messenger of Allah, and for us to recognize the harm that could that could be that could be brought as a result of, of our disobedience. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive them and forgive us, guide them and guide us. May Allah elevate them and elevate us. May we truly learn from the battles, may we truly learn from the battle of God. And may Allah cause us to be victorious. And ultimately for us to realize that victory is with Allah. I, that subhanAllah, we, we're, they, they're days of Badr and they're days of Uhud. But may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make our iman steadfast every day. Jazakumullah khayr. Sayyidina Rahman Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa Sayyidina Habibina Munana Muhammad. Wa alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma barahmatika thabdi kulubna ala dinin thabdi a'dhamna ala suratan mustaqeema. Ya Rabbi, keep our hearts firm upon suratan mustaqeem. Ya Rabbi, keep us amongst those who are rightly guided and who don't deviate. Allow us to be able to recognize the truth for truth and falsehood for falsehood and give us the strength and the ability, Ya Rabbi, to adhere to the truth and the ability to discern the falsehood and strengthen the courage to avoid it. Ya Rabbi, make us amongst those who are mutaqeen. Make us amongst those, Ya Rabbi, who adhere to this deen in the highest way with beautiful character. Ya Rabbi, beautify us with the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Give us a blessed life and a blessed ending when it's best, Ya Allah. Make us amongst those who are who are 
who were members of the, the Prophet وسلم, are proud to say we are from amongst this Ummah. Ya Rabbi, bless us to be amongst those who unite the Ummah and who never divide it. Bless us to be amongst those who are means of light, Ya Rabbi, and truth, Ya Rabbi, and never a means of trial or darkness or affliction, Ya Allah. Allahumma salliyana Sayyidina Muhammad wa na'alihi wa sallam wa sallam alhamdulillah Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.